So uh, be turning in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We're, we're going to go to Job in just a minute, but uh, I want us to look at uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, hey, Rob. Hey, good to see you, brother. Good, good. So, uh, yeah, let's go to Isaiah 6. And I want us to think this morning, we're going to look at um, uh, Job in just a minute. But uh, like, like Job, Isaiah has a meeting with God. And I, I think Isaiah as well as Job both kind of exhibit for us what it's going to be like when we meet God. And I, I think that we don't want to leave here today without considering that. It's something like we're, we're really focusing on everything that is said and the words of the Bible. But if we fail to apply it to ourselves, then it's just kind of an exercise in futility, isn't it? And So look at Isaiah chapter 6, if you will, and verse 1. And uh, this is the prophet Isaiah. He wrote, uh, he probably had the longest of all of the Old Testament prophets, the the longest ministry. I think some have uh, calculated over 60 years of uh, ministry that God used him to speak to the nation of Israel. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, In the year, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then notice uh, verse 5 is Isaiah's response. Uh, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts and uh so just in the presence of the lord you know isaiah just felt so unworthy that you know i don't talk right and woe is me and he was just overwhelmed at god's holiness and his unholiness you know and uh so that that is very similar to job's encounter with the lord and uh i don't want to spend a lot of time there but i just wanted us to consider that and now go to Job 40 and we will see Job's encounter with the Lord Job 40 and I'm going to have Emma read the first five verses there yeah Job 40 the first five verses yeah Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproves 
reprove his God, not him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Yeah. Have I spoken, but I will not answer yea twice, but I will proceed no further. <coughs> Okay, thank you. And um, look back a page at uh, Job 38 in verse 1. And here's where uh, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And so uh, most of us, at least in movies, have seen uh, a tornado or a whirlwind. And uh, I think probably Elihu and his friends... Uh, also saw the whirlwind and they heard the voice of the Lord. You remember we uh, we said from Job 32 that Elihu was probably the author of the book of Job. And so, uh, you know, uh, I think that there's a, just a great noise of wind, you know, when you are around a tornado or whirlwind. So, you know, you almost wonder, are they in the eye of the tornado? Are they, you know, it's calm enough where they can at least hear the voice of the Lord? And So this is quite an event here. And so God is speaking to Job out of this whirlwind. And we uh, we commented several times in the scriptures that you know wind is like the Holy Spirit, and uh, you, you you don't know where it goes or where it comes from, but you you can hear the sound thereof. And the Bible says, "So is the Spirit of the Lord." And uh, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of give you that backdrop of Isaiah saying, "Woe is me!" This whirlwind. Job and his friends are encompassed with uh, this wind, and yet they're hearing the voice of the Lord. And and what uh, uh, Emmett read, and I, I put. I don't know if you guys can see this. Probably not from the back, but. Uh, Let's see if I can maybe just blow up each side of it, maybe. So, uh, you know, God tells Job a lot about creation in chapter 38. And uh, Job can't explain the forces of nature and the stars. And we even talked about some of the constellations and and different things. And, and we also noted... Uh, uh, here that we're going to be looking at today, just how uh, frail Job is, and he can't control the the forces of nature. And he, um, but here was his response that Emmett read. He puts his hand on his mouth. He admits, you know, uh, I am vile, and I'm just going to shut my mouth. And you know, it's very similar to Isaiah's "Woe is me." And then uh, in chapter 42, so there's there's like five chapters here that God Himself is speaking, and uh, ultimately Job is going to repent. And um, you know, Job was the greatest man of the East, and so uh, he was upright, he was perfect, he was uh, uh, he feared God and he, he eschewed evil. And so uh, this is a godly man, and yet uh, we're going to see here in just a minute that there's really none righteous, no, not one, not even Job. And so uh, it could be he was struggling with uh, some self-righteousness of his own, and so ultimately he repents. And uh, 
Someone said that that may be the theme of the book of Job. I I consider it more his suffering and how to deal with suffering. But uh, ultimately it led to his repentance and oftentimes suffering does, doesn't it? It, my wife and I were witnessing to a uh, religious lady uh, in the past, and I just asked Brian, you know, how do we, how do I witness to you know someone who you know thinks they're okay, they're religious, and uh, and he just said, you know, sometimes God has to you know bring disaster or catastrophe in the life of religious people to help them see their need for God. And uh, I think that's probably true. You know, maybe it's not until you get cancer, not until, you know, your child wrecks their car, until something bad happens, like, oh no, uh, maybe maybe I don't know God, maybe I do need to get right, maybe I do need to repent. And so I, I at, at least, I think, I think with children... You know, it's Romans 2 that says the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. And, you know, once children are of the age that they know they're sinful and sometimes they're drawn to God's goodness uh, and, and that leads to repentance, how good God is, uh, we realize how bad we are. But oftentimes it takes a disaster maybe in the life of an adult. And, uh, you know, with me it was just going broke farming and uh, hitting my rock bottom and uh, with with you it may have been something else but uh, anyway uh, ultimately Job does repent and if you want to look at your handout uh, the Lord uses some words here that are in verse 2 it says uh, shall he that contendeth with the almighty instruct him he that reproveth God let him answer it and this word contend is a legal term it means to strive or to strive against or to struggle in opposition and uh, the old I think it's 1828 Webster's gave this reference from Deuteronomy 2 where it says and the Lord said unto me distress not the Moabites neither contend with them in battle so the word I had you put in your blank if you want to is just the word battle oh, I'm sorry <laughs> I said the word battle so I flip so it's T and D yeah so I, I don't know how effective my handouts are, but I, I try to put some blanks with a word that maybe I want you to remember or at least help you to follow the outline as we talk. And in verse 3 and 4 that Emmett read, that word vile means to be morally despicable or abhorrent. Uh, physically repulsive or of little worth or account tending to degrade uh, disgustingly or utterly bad so it's very similar to Isaiah's woe is me he, Job is saying uh, I'm vile you know, compared to you Lord I am vile and uh, look, look back a couple chapters at Job 29 and uh, Pam I'll have you read this if you would uh, 29.9 of, of Job. 
The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their back. Yeah, and we we maybe don't use that phraseology, but it seemed like as a kid, it was like, oh, you're in trouble, you know. <laughs> and so I, that's, that's why I think of it. The verse that Pam read, that's what happened when Job showed up. It's like all the princes just sat down and like, okay, Job's here, let's, let's hear him, you know. And so Job is kind of like that with God. It's like, God, okay, you know, I'm vile. I'm going to just put my hand on my mouth. And I am done talking. So I just think that's very, um, you know, graphic to think think uh, of our, of our own encounter with the Lord. And so I gave you a teaching point there, and I want you to think about this. Uh, my teaching point is: we must develop the right perspective of ourselves as it relates to Almighty God. And uh, this verse from Luke says, If any man come to me, and this is Christ talking, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And uh, does that mean that we are to hate ourselves? What does that mean? Okay, that, I think you're right. Anything else? Okay, so if any man comes to Christ and hate not himself, because, uh, you know, he, he says earlier in uh, Matthew 22, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so it, there is a sense in which we are to love ourselves. But I think what Belinda said is true, that in comparison with uh, our wives and mothers and brothers and children, uh, we are to hate ourselves and hate them in comparison with our love toward the Lord. I, I just think that's very profound. And, and if, we don't, if we don't have that perspective, he says you can't be his disciple. And so that, that goes along with you know denying ourselves and picking up our cross daily and following Him. So that, that's a pretty, that's a heavy statement, isn't it? Yeah, it took me a couple years to get my <laughs> Yeah. The Bible says we're, we're supposed to hate our father and mother and wife and children and brethren. Well, not, not to hate them in that you want to murder them, but to, to hate in comparison with your love toward the Lord. So... Any other comments there? I think a lot of people worship their family or worship their daughter. Yeah, and we taught this in our HBI class, but you know, Christ says to uh, love the Lord thy God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, so we talked about, uh, you know, we're, we're to love God first. I mean, that that is our vertical relationship with Him. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, these uh, the others in our life. 
and it, it kind of forms a cross doesn't it? these are our horizontal this is our love we have toward one another is our horizontal relationships and uh, you know we commented how that uh, you know like talk show host whether it be uh, you know uh, Oprah or used to be Phil Donahue or Montel Williams or talk show host even late night they they try to deal with you know relationships you know horizontal but if we don't get this right first then we can't love one another the way we need to right and uh, so it does kind of make a cross there and uh, I love that illustration all right verses six and seven Belinda in chapter forty. Yeah, and uh, you know, in just a little bit, if you want to skip down to verse um, in verse sixteen, it says, "Lo, now his strength is in his loins." And so God is telling Job to gird up his loins. And then in a little bit, he's going to talk about the strength of this behemoth, this beast, is in his loins. And, you know, um, I've never studied martial arts. Because, you know, in America, it's, you know, bodybuilding and, uh, you know, some athleticism. But, you know, in the Orient, it's... You know, they really focus on your core, your stance, and, uh, you know, the, just the belly and the, the torso. And, the, I mean, this is your, your loins, is your core, and the, the martial arts really focuses on that. And, uh, I, I've heard this said, I, I don't know it to be true, just that, you know, some, some of David's mighty men, is where uh, some of the ninja and some of the martial arts uh, had their beginning with, uh, you know, just their training in the cave of Abdullam. And, you know, they were able to fight off, you know, hundreds of men, some of them. And so there's great, I mean, of course, the Lord was with them. And, you know, you don't want to rule out the supernatural. But nevertheless, uh, these are just men of re- renown that were uh, his, his mighty men. There's uh, at least 37 of them named in the Bible. And anyway, just a lot of focus on the core. So, so uh, God is telling Job to gird up his loins. So take take your robe and uh, you know wrap it around your thighs and get ready. You know we're we're, we're going to battle here. This is uh, I know you're in this you're in the ashes. You've got this incurable disease. You've lost your family. You've lost all this, but you know you need to listen, uh, son. And uh, so that's what uh, Belinda read there for us: this girding up your loins. And and you know the the New Testament says to gird our loins with the belt, uh, the girdle of truth. We're to put on truth, and that's where you know uh, God even tells women to focus uh, on the inner man that that ladies have who have accepted Christ. And so anyway, there's there's just a lot of uh, wisdom to what's being said here. And so at the core of who we are, there needs to be the element of truth, and that that's how we gird up gird up our loins. And and uh, I think uh, Peter's the one that says to gird up the loins of your mind. And so we're to uh, 
have truth uh, in our innermost uh, part, which is our soul, which is who who we are. And so, anyway, there's God's getting ready to lay down some truth here, and He wants Job to listen. And uh, so, let's look at verse eight. Now, uh, Larry, will you read chapter forty, verse eight? Chapter forty, verse eight. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Yeah, so there, there's like four questions here, but uh, in these next few verses, but uh, this word disannul it means to make of no effect. We, you know, we we actually use that word like if somebody gets married and has cold feet or whatever, they can have it annulled, right? They they can make it of no effect, and so that's what disannul is connected with annulment. And uh, I put there to make void, to deprive of authority or force, to nullify or abolish, as to disannul a law or ordinance. And so this is a little bit of rhetorical because Job's not going to disannul what God is saying or his judgment. And uh, and and he's asked. Then this the last part that Larry read: "Will thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous?" Well, you know, can we? Uh, is is Job's thoughts correct? And and that's where I put uh, this thing about righteousness. And we've talked about this before. That uh, I'll just put it on here. So so God is righteous. And uh, the way I was taught what that word means is just righteous is how God acts. So God, and uh, we we use the phrase clockwise. Like I'm looking at a clock, and if you're if this was the clock up here, clockwise would be you know circular like that. And so somebody said that righteous is is how God God uh, always acts right. Why his his actions are always right. And uh, so, when when someone is self righteous, uh, it, this is a little bit the day and age that we live in. You know, the, the, today is called like the the age of Laodicean, where you're lukewarm, you're neither hot or cold. And honestly, today, I bet all of you run into this. It's a little bit hard to tell if someone's saved or not because religious people act good. Well, you know, they must be a Christian. Well, maybe, maybe not, and. Maybe they're a low-down, dirty, rotten sinner, but they kind of clean themselves up to act a certain way. And you know, it's just hard to tell if people are saved these days because they're they're lukewarm. There's, uh, and then there's just the word uh, unrighteous. And so, so, so God is saying, "I would that thou wert cold or hot." Hey, Brian, grab a hand out there. I think there's one left. 
And so, so God, God is saying, I would rather you were be cold, and you know, let people know you're lost. You're you're not making any false pretenses. You're you're acting like you are. And but he he would that we were were hot. We he would he wishes we were fervent and in love with the Lord, and not just acting like it. And he really doesn't want us to be cold and far away from him. And uh, so there, anyway, there's these terms in the Bible, and so that that's what uh, God is saying here. And look back at chapter uh, is it chapter thirty two or. I think it's where uh, Elihu. Hmm. Well, I'm not seeing it, but it's where uh, Elihu. Yeah, yeah, thirty-two one. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. So Job, you know, if if you were to say, you know, what sin did Job commit? I think that would be about the only one we could tack on to him because he he was upright and he he hated evil and he did fear the Lord. But uh, Elihu says that he's righteous in his own eyes. And uh, what we read here that God tells about him, you know, would you condemn me so that you could be righteous, Job? So maybe he bordered on a little bit of, uh, you know, self-righteousness. I don't know if that makes sense. But uh, I put a verse on your handout, uh, Isaiah 64. And uh, Pat, would you just read that off our handout? Uh, letter C down there on the handout. Yeah. But we are all as un- as an unclean thing, and all our all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Yes, that, that's a pretty another heavy statement from the book of Isaiah. Just all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and uh, you know, we we might think of you know we work on a car and we wipe our hands on a rag and it's a it's a, a filthy rag. But uh, th- this is more of like a lady's menstrual cycle that like uh that is uh filthy that way from from a woman and and Isaiah is saying that w- we are unclean in that same way we all our righteousnesses are like a, a filthy rag and so uh in comparison with God's righteousness uh we we are not righteous right so uh all right verse uh, 9 Chuck, do you want to read for us today, brother? Are you in the book of Isaiah? Oh, I'm sorry, in the book of Job, chapter 40? 40. In verse 9? 9. Nine. 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 Nine.
fight God or fight against. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. I know I usually skip over you, brother, and I was just thinking about that this week. I'm like, he can read. <laughs> so, uh, so again, these are kind of rhetorical questions. No, no, you can't. You can't. You don't have an arm like God, and no, you can't thunder like Him. And so I, I gave you some verses there about God's arm, and you know the Exodus verse is where you know God brings Israel uh, out of Egypt with a mighty arm, and uh, anyway, there's just lots of verses about God's arm in the Bible and His stretched out hand, and He's mighty to save, and and uh, there, He He uses His arm even in judgment. So it's it's really weird. I, I looked at several verses one time about this and his outstretched arm is you know sometimes in judgment against people and sometimes it's to save people so it's used both ways and then uh, if you look back just a page in Job 37 it's where God's voice is like thunder it's a 37.5 it says, God thundereth marvelously with His voice. Great things doeth He which we cannot comprehend. And I, I always, most, I, if you've heard me teach very often, I probably use the same stories more than once, but I just remember being on the farm and, you know, it came up a rain and we're back when we square bailed hay and, and it started raining and it started raining hard and, my dad is he's really good at backing a wagon it's if you've ever backing a trailer is easy but if it's got four wheels it's a lot harder to back and and rob's agreeing but my dad's really good at it so he got this in and i'm just soaking wet we're trying to close the doors and it was just the biggest crack of thunder i mean and we're in a tin barn and i mean it just sounded like god was there you know all of us anyway i just remember that from being a teenager and you know i got my bib overalls on and i'm soaking wet and we just hear this crack of thunder and so when i read this verse in the bible it's like okay that's what i think of god is that crack of thunder when i was teenager it's like wow it's just powerful isn't it and uh and it was and then uh 10 through 14 uh mr rinker would you uh Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Job 40, and read the 10 through 14, all those if you would. Deck thyself, deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and the rain of the temple glory of you. Pass abroad the rain of thy wrath, and behold, everyone that is proud in the face of you. Look on everyone that is proud, and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together, and find their faces in the Then will I also confess unto you that thine own right hand could save you. Yeah, so, uh, you know, God is kind of putting this challenge here that, you know, if you can cast abroad these things and bring down the proud and, 
tread down the wicked in their place and hide them in the dust. If you do all this, then God says, well, then Job, I will confess. You, your hand, you can save yourself. And of course, uh, he, he can't. And so these are, uh, again, kind of rhetorical. And, you know, uh, do, do you guys remember this in, in Matthew 27 when Christ was on the cross and people were mocking Him and uh, they, they said, you know, they were laughing at Christ on the cross and they were saying, you know, He saved others but He can't save Himself. And, uh, you, you know, that's a true statement because... He was trying to help others, but he couldn't save others and himself, could he? He he had to die so that we could be saved, right? Uh, I just think of that, and and uh, and so we can't save ourselves, can we? Uh, I used to tell the guys in jail. In, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this. There's a there's a little phrase uh, in Christ, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a verse, but I bet at least a dozen times in the New Christ or in the New Testament, the Bible talks about you know that that we're in Christ and He's in us. And so I told people in the jail that you know Jesus is like this rocket ship because He's the only person good enough to go to heaven by Himself. And so if you want to be saved, you have to be in Him. So get in that rocket ship that Christ is going to heaven and. I I tried to, you know, illustrate that because we we need to be in Him if we want to go to heaven, and, and we do that, you know, through through salvation and through accepting Him uh, into our lives, and uh, and and Jesus, and, and the way that you know, because right now, you know, God is a spirit; He He's everywhere, but Jesus is really God in the flesh at at one place, and right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God. He He's seated at the right hand of God. So the way He dwells in believers is through the Holy Spirit. And it, it, Christ told His disciples that it's expedient for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, then the Comforter will not come. And so He was, you know, they were all sad. Jesus is going away. Well, He had to go and be at the right hand so that the Holy Spirit would come and indwell His followers. And so, uh, so God is everywhere all at the same time. Jesus is God at one place at one time, and the Holy Spirit is in many places at the same time. He He's in each of us right now, right? He's in the and, uh, but He He's not uh, omniscient, maybe like God the Father. So, but that that's how that all uh, breaks down. Kind of, it's good to think about the the triune God and. Because this next section that we're going to look at, and I don't know if we'll get to the end of the chapter or not, but do you know the uh, the devil has kind of an unholy trinity, just like God has a holy trinity? And uh, what is the unholy trinity that the Revelation talks about? What do you think, Jim? You're the false prophet. Yeah, they have the false prophet. The false the beast. The beast. And the image. Uh, the, the Antichrist, yeah. I don't know if they were saying that is the beast. Uh, what do you think, Belinda? This um, week, I, you know the monster drink in the Hebrew 
Yes, yes, I have seen that. Yeah, the monster drink has like these claw prints, but they're kind of. Yeah, hey, I, I I think there's something to that. I think there is too. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it was all around us, and we don't even know. Right, right, it is, it is. So, anyway, this next section, the last uh, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, <coughs> talks about this beast uh, called Behemoth. <coughs> and uh, let me give you this teaching point before we go on here. <coughs> uh, our counseling strategy. So, I, I had the word strategy. And our counseling strategy should be to point people to God. And and that that seems pretty... I mean, a lot of times we try to figure out the other person's problem. But if we just point people to the Lord... Because, uh, you know, Job is just riddled with problems. And God doesn't talk to Job about any of his problems. God just talks about who, who he is and, and what he's done and his works and, and even his creation. And we're going to talk about this uh, behemoth. And so on the back uh, half of your page of your handout, I gave you uh, this Roman numeral 3 as prerequisites to understanding behemoth. And I thought we might do this. Let me see if I can uh, pull this up in the old blue letter Bible. So I know we need a a bigger big screen in here, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I've always thought that. <laughs> all the other rooms have these ginormous uh, screens. Yeah. So we're we'll see. Let's see the silly guy about that. Yeah. Who? <laughs> I will tell you what I'm doing about it is. Uh, <laughs> last night we went to a uh, an event and uh, I they had a raffle. And whoever wins gets a 70-inch TV. So uh, I bought $20 worth of tickets. So if I win, maybe we'll get a 70-inch TV up here. But this is probably about a 40 or 38, 37 maybe. I don't know. So anyway, I don't know if you guys can see this uh, from back there. But this is the only time that this word behemoth is in the Bible. And it gives us this Hebrew number uh, 930 that's associated with it. And I, what I thought I would do is just uh, click on this and let's see what... So this is... All of you have heard of a dictionary. Uh, the Bible dictionary is called like a Lexan. It's kind of a... It's a little bit of a cross between a dictionary and maybe an encyclopedia. It's called a Lexan. And so, 
uh, as you can see here, this word behemoth is only one time in this. Who knows what AV means? Authorized version. It's the authorized version. So the, the, the King James Bible is sometimes called the authorized version because a king authorized it, King James. And uh, so this word behemoth is only one time in the Bible. And here's the what the Lexan says about it. It's perhaps an extinct dinosaur. And it names a couple of dinosaurs. It says the exact meaning is unknown. Some translated as an elephant or hippopotamus. But from the description, uh, this is patently absurd. So, That's cool. especially uh, hippopotamus, because it talks about this tail is like a cedar, and you know, hippopotamus has got a tail like a pig, you know, just a little wiggly tail. Uh, so anyway, I, I thought. Uh, so so now look at your handout. This says that behemoth is a transliteration, and uh, if you if you look up here at the big screen again, the big little screen, the, there, there's the transliteration is behemoth, and uh, and so what they mean is that. Uh, that there's no word in the English language that really means that in Hebrew, so they just kind of made a new English word for that. Does that make sense? Um, and uh, this is this is kind of funny. Uh, baptism is another word. That that's a transliteration. Uh, that's transliterated from the Greek, and I could I could show you that, but. <clears throat> How do you think some Bibles translate the word baptism? I know the NIV translated it uh, to immerse. And it does mean to immerse, but it kind of means more than that. It, it kind of means to, to, to make clean or to to whiten. Like they had, a, they had people whose occupation was to dye clothes different colors, and they were called fullers. And the, the fuller could dye something white. And so the word baptism does mean to immerse, and that that's why we we. Uh, you know, because baptism is a picture of burial. Like Christ was buried, and he was in the tomb for three days, and he rose again. So, you don't baptize, you don't bury people by sprinkling dirt on them, and you don't baptize people by sprinkling water on them. You you immerse them, but there is a, a cleansing uh, to that. And so, so the King James, instead of translating it immerse, which is mostly true, it also means to you know to make clean. And and like a fuller would die clothes. So anyway, I just thought I'd give you another example. There, so there's probably other examples, but uh, behemoth is one of them. Baptism is one of them. And uh, so uh, if you look at your handout, this so letter A, behemoth is a transliteration, and translation takes a word or phrase in one language and gives it the equivalent word or phrase in another language. But transliteration means there is no word that is equivalent in another language, so it's left as is. And uh, there's a there is a Hebrew word be, behemoth 
And that's the feminine plural of cattle or beast. And behemoth is the singular form of the same word. So, uh, like if you had a farm and you had a herd of cows, you would say that, you know, those are my cattle over there. And so behemoth is like cattle, but it's like, it's one beast, but it's like a plural beast. And so as we describe this, as we walk down through here, this behemoth, do you remember like Daniel and... uh, and John in Revelation, they describe this beast as having claws and feathers and different faces. And but it's one beast, but it's got so it's like a beast that's made up of other beasts. And so that that's what God is describing to Job here is this plural beast. And and probably uh, you know it was a, a land creature that ate grass. That's what we're going to see. So historically, it was that but there's some doctrinal to it so so letter b there i I put a behemoth is sometimes translated as elephant or hippopotamus or a water ox historically it's and like an extinct dinosaur and uh i've got a picture here i got a couple pictures for you this is uh this is what one I don't know how to say that sauropod dinosaur. So there, that was a 20-minute video I found that maybe it's describing. You can tell its uh, strength is probably in its loins. It's got this tail like a cedar. So and it, it's eating vegetation. So it's eating like you know grass. And then uh, there's another one I got. This is uh So th- this is another Diplodocus and and again it's it's this huge animal with this tail like a cedar and you know it's probably eating grass or vegetables. It's, it's not a meat eater either. So, anyway, so these are these are some probably historical things that it may or may not be. And then I put doctrinally, it is a plural beast. So just the word beast I put in your blank. And uh, let, let me stop right here uh, and make make another statement. Um, and this is kind of wild to consider because we said in the tribulation period there's and we've all heard of the mark of the the beast haven't we and so that that is kind of doctrinally what we're talking about here and do uh, you know that uh Trees. Let me do this. Uh, this is my stick animal. And then we have. Uh, you know, tr- there's really three forms of life on planet Earth. There, there's plant life, and plant life has a body. 
right? I mean, flowers and leaves and trees, they're, they're alive and they have this body that they're nurtured from the soil and, and moisture. <clears throat> and then animals uh, have a body uh, and a spirit, don't they? They... They, uh, animals interact with the world primarily based on instinct. You know, they have smell and sight and, and sound. And so, uh, but the Bible actually says that they lack understanding. And, and that's, that's why that, uh, people, they, we have a body and a soul and a spirit. And and the Bible says that that God communes with our spirit with His spirit, and and so this is this is what we're all doing now. We're we're reading words from a page that is truth, and it's feeding our soul, but it it's entering in uh, through our eye and our ear gates, and and uh, it's feeding our spirit, and our soul is gaining understanding. So humans have understanding that that uh, animals don't and of course plants don't and uh, so so when we talk about beasts uh, and this is just a personal belief of mine and but I believe that this beast in the in the in the revelation this coming antichrist this beast will not have a soul probably it, it's a be us like a soulless creature in, in my opinion and uh, I, I don't maybe base that on a lot except from just uh, that it doesn't have understanding and it but it, it's supporting Satan himself, right? And so uh, I think that this may be somehow connected with cloning. You know, they can clone animals already. If they can clone people, will they have a soul? Hmm. I, I don't think so. But anyway, it's just kind of a lot to think about as we uh, look at Behemoth. And I don't think I'm going to try to get all the way through here. But let's look at. Uh, Verse 15. Uh, Rob, do you want to read chapter 40, verse 15 for us? Behold now, Behemoth, which I made, would be the heat of grass and the Yeah, so, now think about this. What is grass like to in the Bible? Very close. All flesh is as grass. It says that twice in our. This behemoth is destroying all flesh. Our all flesh is as grass. So, it, you know, he's obviously talking about some, you know, animal that's probably extinct, and in describing that, he's saying that. There's coming an animal with a body and a spirit that's going to eat flesh. It's going to eat grass. And, uh, I think this may be as far as we get. Let, let me expound on that just a little bit. Go, go to, uh, hold your place here. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. I 
hope I don't confuse anybody. I don't want the I want this to be uh, you know learning in Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, look at Ephesians five, and there's a verse here. Oh, I'm still in chapter three. Hold on. Um, In verse 29, so Ephesians 5.29 says, For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So, no, no man, none of us, I mean, we still took a shower, we got dressed to come here. We don't actually hate our own flesh, but, but notice it says, no man ever yet. So that hasn't happened yet. But, but now look at Revelation for a minute. Look at, uh, the book of Revelation 17. And, uh, I think we'll just hold up here. Me and Sarah, we're gonna go get baptized. So, Revelation 17. And look with me at verse, uh, 16. 17, 16 of Revelation. Actually, start in verse 15. It says, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. And then look at verse 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the, the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked. Now look at this. And shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. And uh, th- this is a reference to a false religion that's going on in, and these multitudes and tongues and peoples and nations. Uh, the beast uh, uh, eat eat their flesh. That I mean, they they hate and they they uh, so that false religion. <clears throat> So, so we just seen in Ephesians five, Christ is like the bridegroom, and and we're the church, we're the we're His bride, and He wants to nourish and cherish us. He loves us, and He doesn't hate us. But you know, the devil he hates those people that follow him. I mean, they're following him; they're his people, and he's going to devour them, just like Behemoth is eating grass. And so, uh, that's a pretty wild statement, isn't it? So I'll give you just two more of your blanks, uh, and then we'll, we'll quit. So like Satan, uh, Job, it says behemoth was made. So behemoth is a creation. It, it's not, like Satan, it's not eternal. Uh, Satan as a serpent was cursed with cattle. So, so I, I had you put the word cattle in your... Uh, and if we wanted to, we could read that from Genesis 3.14. It says he was, the serpent was made to go on his belly and eat dust as the cattle. It says as cattle. So it's this plural, plurality. And uh, note that behemoth eats grass. And so the Bible says that all flesh, 
uh, all flesh is as grass. And so we, we saw that in Revelation 17 that... that and uh, I gave you a note there that Nebuchadnezzar, he was cursed and he lived like a beast and he ate grass in Daniel 4. So that's, that's pretty wild stuff, isn't it? So does that mean that before the serpent was cursed, he wasn't on his belly? Right. That's exactly right, Pam. He, um, I've heard studies that that people believe that snakes were equipped with some type of vertebrae that would have supported uh, feet or legs. And so he was probably could walk and it says he talked with Eve. So, yeah, just a lot of wild stuff if you... Um, and you know, one of the things I was reading, it said that only Bible believers can really understand what this beast is. If you don't truly believe the Bible, then you're just going to think Behemoth was some extinct dinosaur and just go on to the next chapter. But if you take time to dig, oh, he's eating grass. Wow, there's the tribulation period. That happens and the beast eats grass. So, anyway, thank you for being here. It's a pretty wild day, but uh, I think we'll I think we'll close out now. What's that? Yeah, we didn't we didn't get there. I'll probably uh, I'll probably finish chapter forty and start on chapter forty one next week. Uh, I don't know if Jim mentioned, but you know, two weeks from now is uh, our Bible conference. And so two weeks from now, I don't think we have Bible hour. But anyway, next week we'll finish this chapter and we'll go on to chapter 41. And uh, anyway, it's a privilege to teach teach this class. And thank you for joining us online. I think we're going to go ahead and close out. Hopefully everybody can hear us okay. And uh, let's uh, let's pray and uh, we'll be dismissed today. Uh, Lord, I do bow my head and bow my heart. And uh, Father, it's it's very uh, surreal to speak about things that I, I don't fully understand. And Lord, uh, we're all sitting here just kind of anticipating. Uh, the scripture and we have different levels of understanding and and lord uh, so teach us walk with us right where we are we thank you that you don't hate us that you do nourish and cherish us as a nurse does uh, the child and so lord uh, bless bless this class i pray you'll uh, bless uh, sarah and her mom as they've come here and traveled to get baptized and be part of this uh, local body of believers and just uh, go with them back to their their home and uh, bless each of us as we go about our jobs and uh, workplace and our homes this week. I pray uh, for Pastor Brian the team in Boston as they're uh, serving you in the Boston area. We just want to lift up uh, Brady. 
and Brian and uh, Angela by name. I pray that you'll give them safe delivery home. But Lord, use them while they're there. Keep them walking in the Spirit and help them to have a fruit and much fruit and fruit that remains. Be with the Pastor Mike Renault out there that may uh, he successfully plant a church in the city that uh, seems like they've kind of forgotten you. And So Lord, uh, be with us in the main service today. Be with your servant Jason as he preaches and just uh, bless this class, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Sarah, I'm glad we got to talk about baptism a little bit, even in here. Did you turn on?